The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hi, I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, believe you have a message. So as a quote, who are you to think you have something worthy to offer anyone? This is perhaps the unspoken yet primary enemy of personal development overall. I mean, we want to be of value to people. We want to help them. We want to take some lessons we've learned and lift others up with them. But the biggest hurdle is our own self-doubt. We as humans are far more prone to see our faults and our gifts, which is why I have a tremendous show for you today. I've known Jonathan Milligan for many years. I've witnessed him help a tremendous amount of people discover the message they have to offer and effectively get it into the market. His success in doing so did not go unnoticed. He was courted to write a book, which he did. And that's what we're talking about in this episode. It's called Your Message Matters, How to Rise Above the Noise and get paid for what you know. And the book starts off with believing you truly have a message, then leads into defining it and finally to marketing it and living it. Uh, Jonathan Milligan, if you don't know him, he's an author, blogger, speaker. He's, uh, he's an online business coach. He spent the last decade guiding and directing creative professionals on how to pursue meaningful work. Jonathan has a tremendous story of leaving his high school teaching position and finding his way over seven plus years till 2009 when he started his own portable lifestyle business online. And today he teaches others how to build a business with their passion, their story, and their message. Uh, you can find Jonathan in this profound book at your message matters book.com. So I'm going to share what we've got coming up for you in our other podcasts, some products and services that I think are relevant for you. And then I'm going to bring you Jonathan Milligan. And we're going to start off with talking about this issue of, you know, do we have a message in us? Do you believe you have something in you that you can offer other people? I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra-rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled-in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, Jonathan, man, it's great to have you on here. Yeah, we've known each other a long time, have not done this, but I've known of the value you provide your audience and I hear about you so often. Uh, so I'm eager to get into this message about message from you. 
And I wanted to hit though, you've got so many pieces of your personal story that make up this because of that, I mean, that's your teaching, you know, it's, it's us who we are, what we're about that makes up our message. But you started in one of those consummate places that is so hard for people to transition from. You were a high school teacher and I appreciate the fact that you said it was good. You enjoyed it. It, it was good. It wasn't bad. You just felt there was more because in my experience to be in that place and saying, I'm going to jump, especially when you're married and have kids and do something else, you get often pushback. And I wonder, did you get pushback for jeopardizing the good job or encouragement to pursue something better or a little both? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, thankfully, my wife was very supportive. Um, you know, I, and it was it was somewhat difficult more internally because both my parents were educators. That's what I grew up around. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher. And I was just like, that was the thing. That was, uh, it's a great profession. And I married an elementary school teacher. So it was like, I was living and breathing this profession of teaching and serving the next generation. But yet I found myself just two or three years in going, this just isn't exactly quite right. And um, I had a great relationship with the students. Yeah. I enjoyed the teaching, but there were things that I, I didn't love. I, I wanted to be more creative. I wanted to do something outside of the four walls. I felt very kind of limited and constrained, but and an, had an entrepreneurial itch, but just didn't know what that was. Um, and so it was a it was a journey to step out. Well, and that's what's so curious that you did a lot of stepping out without having this specific guiding light that you felt you should focus on. And so you share that, that you stopped your teaching, you got a night job, uh, to, to pay the bills while you pursued this. But then even there at that job, and I pulled out the quote, you said you had a frustrated night and you told a coworker, I'm just ready to go fail at something. Dude, that's a curious statement uh, because I thought about that and thought, man, I, I kind of get it, but I never, I don't recall that being a perspective that I had. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be multiple perspectives of what motivates you to go jump out at something. I think I often found either distaste with what I was doing or more often something that, man, there's a problem I want to go solve. And so for you to come back and say, man, this initial catalyst was, I'm just ready to go fail at something. Where does that perspective come? How did that perspective germinate for you? It was almost like that just kind of came out. And then I realized what I just said. And um, what it was, it was a call center job at night. And it was an hourly job. It kind of helped pay the bills. But most of the people that I worked around, uh, this was a temporary thing. It was a thing that this is what you do when you're in transition. You're trying to figure out what your next thing is. And yet I was kept meeting people who I'm like, well, how long have you worked here? And it was like, I've been here five years and I've been here six years, seven years. And it's okay if they were passionate about what they do, but they said, I never intended to be here this long. I, I was supposed to just be short term. And, and in the meanwhile, I was spending my days. The idea was the days were open for me to do something entrepreneurial. So I was reading all the books. I was taking the courses. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was consuming the information. And it was like the hard reality set in that, that, you know, learning doesn't equal progress and doesn't necessarily line up to action. And um, that's when, after about nine months after the call center job at night, that's when I said to the coworker, I'm just ready to go fail at something. It was almost like doing something and failing at it was going to be less painful yeah. than just staying where I was. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. You pulled out learning because back and we're going to get to it down where you in the book and you talk about the eight aspects of a messenger. Uh, and I'm pulling up right, right here. Number five, you said, uh, actually, no, it was number six. Messengers are leading learners. I, I pay a lot of attention to words or at least the meanings we associate with words. And I looked up Merriam Webster, uh, says to gain knowledge or understanding of, or skill in by study, instruction, or experience. And when I think about learning, I think about more than go than just knowledge, because I mean, we're so just filled with knowledge every day, more and more and more knowledge that often doesn't add up to anything. It's just stuff that we know. It's like mm -hmm. trivial pursuit. I think what's the point of knowing this stuff unless you go do it. And I think more of these days as learning, as I learn it, if I actually do that. So I appreciate even in the definition, it talks about when you gain a skill that you can then go and do something with, which is what I heard you just say. In essence, you were learning things, but were you taking action on that. And as you know, that's a big leap that I think a lot of people miss. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And and that's where you have to realize the 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 value of doing something, even if it's done poorly. It's because uh, I had a mentor tell me once, you know, when in business, you're you have two one of two outcomes. You're either trying to maximize revenue or you're trying to maximize learning. What went right, what went wrong, what I do differently what, you know, knowing what I know now that I've actually done it, how could I make this better? And that only comes from actually doing it. So what about, and I am always, ever since Dr. Benjamin Hardy wrote his latest book, Personality Isn't Permanent, I struggle with putting too much emphasis on personality style. But if we look at just propensities, what would you say, because as we look at this, okay, you just left this thing to go off and do something. Where would you say you fall from a personality style propensity as far as, you know, introvert, extrovert, you know, detail, you, you know, you know, all the scenario. Yeah. And I've taken all the tests. Okay. I've done, I've I figured, done them all. I figured I have done them all. And, uh, I think all of them are, you know, a little bit of window that lets the light in, Yeah. but I don't know that you can always necessarily box you, you know, people into certain little personality types. For example, I'm more introverted, but I would say for a long time, I bucked against that because I didn't want to be introverted. You know, I saw introversion as not influencing people. And it was like this, it was this uh, thing that was constraining on both sides of how can I be an introvert, but yet have this high need to want to impact and influence people. And it seems like these two worlds can't exist together. And until I started getting a better understanding in my mind of what introversion really meant, it was it's more or less like how I how I um, power back up. Right. It's more like I need the downtime to power up. And not only that, I started coming across all these uh, speaker friends of mine who traveled and spoke and found out they're introverted. And so it doesn't necessarily mean you know, oh, you're extroverted. That means you're on the stage speaking. You're introverted. Oh, you just kind of sit over here and, and kind of do something on a spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. And so I think that's that's a and I get into a little bit of this uh, of the book. You do need to look into first how you're wired and how God made you. That's important because he's made us all unique. But be careful about putting yourself into boxes. Well, and I want to get into that when you talk about defining the messenger in just a second here. But, you know, when you talk about, well, just looking at your journey, 
So you go from that and you tried real estate uh, and you did that enough, actually succeeded in flipping a house and made some money to help fund the next thing. But I appreciate what you said is what you mainly learned is that's not your gig. And it reminded me, and I have quoted this guy so many times, never talked to him. I saw him on stage somewhere eons ago, Franz Johansson. He wrote a book called The Medici Effect. And in there, what stood out to me was him saying one of the things that he saw from entrepreneurs outside of them being anything special was just that they're willing to try stuff. So again, back over here to you that you were willing to try that. I, I, you know, I assume your wife was okay with you trying this thing and also saying, Hey, you made some money and you're not going to keep doing that. And was that again, was that, was there a pressure to feel like, gosh, you invested some in that. Maybe you should keep doing that or were you okay just to walk away? So eh, nope, that wasn't it next. Yeah. You know, I think I was okay to walk away. It felt, I felt success in it. But at the same time, it was like, this isn't the right fit. You know, the, the excitement or energy wasn't there to get the next house or get the next two or three houses. It just wasn't the right fit for my skill set, my abilities, my knowledge. Um, but uh, my wife was very supportive. And that, that for that, I'm thankful. She's always been a cheerleader. Now she comes from a family of entrepreneurs. So I, I will say that, you know, her dad was an entrepreneur. Her brother owns his own business. She has a brother, my brother-in-law. Um, uh, owns his own business. So coming from that environment of entrepreneurial pursuits uh, probably lended her to be willing to go on the journey. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, um, it, it was a great experience. But, you know, it was kind of like, how could I use this to leverage into my next thing? Well, okay, that's a great segue into I was going to ask about, you know, your next thing you said you joined a startup. Uh, executive search firm for accounting professionals, yet you had no background in accounting or finances, but obviously there was some transferable skill that you were able to offer them that they wanted. What was it? You know, I think it was being able to be uh, relationship driven and um, genuine and connect with people serve people who are looking for a job, be there to help them, listen to them. And so it was a permanent placement uh, recruiting firm. So uh, the candidates that came to us, it didn't cost them anything, but the uh, companies would pay a fee to us when we um, yeah. found them the ideal employee. And um, the challenge though was, but you know, in, in retrospect, it was perfect. The challenge was it was, it was a no salary job. It was a hundred percent commission. Um, you know, good commissions, but it was 100% commissions. But it did help me to learn how to a little bit be an entrepreneur inside uh, of an organization and a structure. It taught me things like, you know, having a sense of urgency and what it's like to, to um, be self-disciplined and do what you need to do to get things done and move things along. And so I learned a lot of skill sets, but it still wasn't my thing. It wasn't, wasn't um, 100% perfect in uh, a fit, but I learned a lot in the process. Well, and I was going to ask that because you say you were there for seven years. So now you've got a full-time gig, seven years. Did you look at that time as a continual learning process or did it still along with it, were you able to facilitate your other learning that ultimately brought you out? Did you feel like you were in a holding pattern? What did it look like during, that's a long time. 
It is a long time. You know, I would say probably about five years in is when I started getting an itch. Like, I don't know that I want to work a recruiting desk for the next 20 years. That was kind of my thought process. It's like, you know what? I've built relationships. I've, I've earned a decent amount of money. Um, I, I've done these things. I, I've gained great knowledge and experience. But I don't know that this is what I want to do for 20 years. It was great for two to five years. But what where what's the calling? And I think that was part of it, too. Me from kind of growing up in a Christian environment was, you know, what's that calling on my life? What am I supposed to do? Am I missing out on that calling? There was a little bit of that in there, too. And, um, you know, partially it was a struggle between should I be in ministry? Should I do something outside? You know, what is my calling? And so that was kind of all mixed in. But um, I still had this creative outlet that I, I wanted to pursue, but I wasn't sure what that was. OK, so you you, know, you mentioned a, a, a you know, biblical foundation and a calling, which that's, you know, we associate that word with more of a face faith-based endeavor is calling. Did you in that, you mentioned ministry, was that, that kind of that that perspective of to have a real calling as unto God, it should be in ministry. Was that a bit of a struggle as opposed to out here in the secular business world? It was because, you know, growing up in the church, uh, there was this high emphasis on, you know, um, surrendering to full time ministry, either as a speaker, as a as a pastor, as a missionary. And, you know, whether it was said or not, it kind of gave the illusion of um, this is the people who are doing the real work and everyone else. You you do your, you know, be salt and light, but it's really support the real work that's going on without being too harsh. That was kind of the way it was interpreted. And so here's this idea of like, you know, am I being selfish in this? And and that was the other part of it is leaving the teaching job safe and secure, um, having a family, a young family, trying to do some entrepreneurial things. Was this uh, thing me pursuing uh, selfishly my passion or was it a part of the calling that God had on my life. I just trying to figure it out. So let's jump to that punchline right now, even as we're still amongst your story. How have you reconciled that today? So for me, and this is probably something we'll get into what it, what it took was a, um, it it took a, a, a verse or two that I came across that was really helpful to me, but then also, uh, an old outdated book. And that old outdated book was the acres of diamonds. And, um, you know, long story short, it's about basically about an African farmer who goes out. He sells his land because he wants to go get rich, um, finding and mining diamonds, because that was the thing. And then in pursuit of that, he ended up dying broke and despondent. And meanwhile, the person who he sold his land to accidentally came across a diamond. And when it was cultivated, the land it found that it was the richest diamond mine in Africa. And so the point of the, the story or, or the, the fable, I should say, was that um, sometimes we're trying to find our purpose out there when it's right under our nose all along. And I think this was the, the pivotal point for me, at least in my journeys, when I started realizing my purpose is not in a thing. It's not in a title. It's not in a status. It's not in a thing. My purpose 
is actually inside of me. It's how God made me, how he wired me, how I show up best for people. That was my, whatever my unique gift was. I didn't know what it was at the time, but that's when I started realizing that, wait a minute, what's changeless about me is really my purpose because I can apply that to lots of context, Mm -hmm. lots of different scenarios, but who I am is what my purpose is. And it's, and it's been right under my nose all along. And then on top of that, uh, Proverbs eighteen sixteen was just a verse I kind of latched onto that said, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before Kings. And that to me was a, a pivotal verse that kind of told me, you know what, you need to pursue this, this gift that you've been given Um, because it's a stewardship issue. You've been given some gift, cultivate it, find out what it is, and then use that to um, make a difference in the world. You are listening to The Ziegler Show in this episode with Jonathan Milligan and our focus on Your Message Matters, where again, you can find Jonathan and this profound book at yourmessagemattersbook.com. He just mentioned Acres of Diamonds, and next I let you know where you can get that story for free. So here are some resources I think will be relevant for you, then we'll get back to it with Jonathan Milligan. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So for uh, Acres of Diamonds, you mentioned that, and that one is one I've known since I was a kid. My dad loves it so much so that uh, folks want to, I mean, I'm sure you could type it in and find it a lot of places, but I, I knew it was here somewhere. I just found it, 48days.com. My dad, Dan Miller, his website. If you go to 48days.com slash acres-of-diamonds, you can get the little story uh, right there. It's a great one to share with you know, your friends, family, kids, and whatnot. Now, from that, you took it. And I, I was intrigued by this. You came, you did some work in this arena on just yourself, your own personal awareness and came out with your unique gift being resourcefulness. And I just like that. That's not a norm. I think if most people think of, okay, what are personal gifts, talents, abilities? That's not, and I get that one. I get it. But I, I thought, Hmm, I, I don't think I've ever thought about that one a lot though. It, it made me go back to a decade or so ago. And my wife said at the time, she thought that one of my primary gifts was I'm a maximizer. I like to go in and mm. see something that's not being maximized and do that to say resourcefulness. That's pretty great. So that's what you came to. And you took that into starting your own business, which was again, helping give career advice to these accountants and whatnot, who, again, you did not have experience. You had never been an accountant, which I thought that was great because it, it reminded me of uh, back when I used to do some work with authors. I was really good at helping them with their own branding. I had never authored a book to this date. I have a book deal happening right now, but I, this moment, <laughs> there's not a book out there, but that you were able to bring that again to an arena where you were not totally experienced in that field. So it brought me back again to those transferable skills. And it seems like I hear that in your story and in this book, uh, we all have these unique inherent, you said gifts, but these, tra can we say that transferable gifts that you can apply somewhere? You're trying to help them figure out where that should go based upon their message. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, but it's hard to know. We don't know unless we get outside perspective. Like you talk about your wife. I asked my wife, I asked four or five people mm -hmm. who knew me best. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. If you've ever heard of that, it's that kind of concept of like, we we're too close to it. Another friend of mine said um, that it, it's difficult for us because what's ordinary to us is magic to others. And we don't see totally. the things that we can do that other people just think, wow, I don't know how you do that. And so when I ask people, that's what just kept coming back is Jonathan, you're, you're resourceful. You're that guy that's like, have you thought of doing this or have you thought of that? And so at the time I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, what do I do with that? Do I, I, do I build a, how do I build, build a business with that? But again, it was one piece that I started putting into place um, eventually, um, turning that into a, a business for me. Well, and I want folks to hear that again, that if you're looking at this and we're, we're going to jump right now into some of these, you know, the specific awarenesses and understandings of ourselves that you, like what you just said to understand your gifts, your, your talents is, talents that often we need 
other people. It reminds me of branding. I had somebody tell me that once, or I read that, that we all want to say with our business or ourselves, Hey, this is what my brand is. We could try to influence it though. The only person who can say what it really is, is the public out there. And they'll tell you what your brand actually is. So for you to say, gosh, we can sit here and go, what are my gifts? Man, I'm totally with you. I've gotten the best insight by having other people tell me what they see in me. So hopefully people have the opportunity and people in their lives that they can do that with. Well, so to this, you know, the book, the message matters. I actually looked at, you've got a lot of five-star reviews on Amazon. Uh, good on you for that. And I looked at one of them, it stuck out to me. And somebody, a guy said, the book is pure encouragement and wisdom for aspiring. And he has in quotes, messengers. Jonathan is an experienced mentor showing uh, you your path to make a difference in others' lives. But he said that for aspiring messengers. And my first thought was, well, heck, who is, isn't everybody a messenger? Is everybody? But that was before I even got to the meat of your book, which was going through, uh, you know, what does make up a messenger? And is that, well, let me just pose that to you. Yeah. You know, do you look at that and go, no, everybody is, or like, you know, not everybody is supposed to be an entrepreneur. I had to learn that as I advocated that and realized that's not everybody's calling. It doesn't need to be. Thank goodness. It's not, we need people doing other things, but in this aspect, is there an, a piece of you that feels like, no, we all have that, or it is for a certain segment of people. Yeah, I think it is for a certain segment of people, but I, I also think that there's people who don't realize that there's an opportunity that exists to us today and they're kind of undiscovered messengers. They haven't really seen that. Wait a minute. This is an opportunity because it's, this isn't a, you know, necessarily a, something that you pick on a college degree. Right. And neither was any of this around when I was pursuing a college degree. And so um, what's been neat about the book is how many people that I've talked to that I wouldn't consider like the primary audience for this book going, Jonathan, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm excited. And this is what's going to be about Jonathan. I'm starting a blog, Jonathan. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And I think what I'm most excited about is, um, you know, there's not really been a term to define all of us. You know, I started off as a, you know, pure blogger. I was just blogging career advice. And that's how I kind of cut my teeth into finding that creative outlet until that turned into a business. So it was a, it was a blogger for accounting and finance professionals and turned that into a full-time business, stepped away from the recruiting job. And then I started a second blog called Blogging Your Passion back in 2011. And then since then, it's just blown up. I mean, there's so many, and you know, some of us call us influencers, YouTubers, bloggers, podcasters, but there's not a term to define us. And, uh, you know, there's that term thought leaders out there. And so the way I see it is it's, you know, if, if you have a desire to like write, teach, speak, coach, and you want to make a difference in others with your story, your passion, or your message, I want people to know that they can build a real business around that. And they can do it online with all of the media tools that we have access to. And uh, that's what I want people to know. Well, and so in that, in the book, and for those who will see the video, I'm holding up the cover there, but you can go find it at, at, at Amazon and, of course, anywhere you want to get that. But in the book, Your Message Matters, you segment it into four parts. Believe your message, number one. Two, define your message. Three, market your message. And four, live your message. 
and I could spend a day probably just on the first part. And I really want to give the focus there. Obviously I'm, I'm advocating people. This is a, this is something to work out. What is your message and then what to do with it? Cause I think we have a lot of focus on figuring out what you have to offer, what you're about. But then of course we've got a sea of people who are going, okay, now I got something figured out. What do I do with it? And we've seen a lot of people who never get further than that. They don't know how to, well, to your thing, they don't know how to define it. They don't know how to market it, especially. And then they don't know how, especially even how to live it. But if I look at the first part of believing in your message, to me, it was kind of the what and the why and the rest of the book being the, okay, here's how you do it. So folks, mm -hmm. if you want to get the, how you do it, go engage with Jonathan and buy the book. Cause I really want to talk about this, the uncovering, even the believing in you've got a message. Um, you have, I love the reality of your life story that you start off here. You are and you're authoring a book. Well, this is your, what your second book? The yes. Second? First traditionally published. The first one was a self-published. Self-published, so traditionally published, which I saw it was a Baker books. I know that one from Michael Hyatt. I think his last mm -hmm. one or more books is with Baker. Um, and you said that you're, so you're a freshman in college, your English professor says writing is not your thing. Don't become a writer. Boom. There you go. You just been delivered the verdict and, and there it sets. Now, later on, then you have your wife say, well, you know what? Let me stop there. Yeah. There's your professor. Now he didn't say that cause he was a jerk. I don't expect, hopefully maybe he was, but there's probably <laughs> some context some realistic context. So there you are, you receive this. This is a guy that's senior writing. You're in, his, in, in the class. What do you think the context was for him to have that perspective? You know, that's a good question. Uh, it was a creative writing class. It was about writing short stories. Um, and it was the one class in college that was like, I'm actually enjoying it. Like, I'm not just trying to do the paper at the last minute, turn it in, but I found myself like being energized about it and excited about it. And then to like get that, you know, from who you consider to be an expert to get that kind of negative thing was, well, maybe just because I'm passionate about it, I'm not skilled in it. I need to find yeah. something else. And so it was like I set writing on the shelf for several years until my wife started speaking into me what she believed to be true about me that I didn't believe. Well, and that was my next thing. So she says, you're going to write a book someday. And you said that at that time that she said that you had no audience, no experience, no manuscript, no book idea. So again, I'm going to ask, so what was the context that she would say? She didn't say, Hey, I think you're going to be a professional athlete. Hey, I think you're going to be a celebrity TV star. She said, I think you're going to be a, a write a book. Why? Yeah. And this is back when I was teaching. So it was like, I'm a high school teacher. Uh, I fell in love with books in college. Uh, I started reading, you know, I think Billy Graham was one of the first books, then Max Lucado, then I came across, um, let's see, came across the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Coffee, and then right. I started, then, I, you know, Zig Ziglar books started coming in, and I started reading, you know, Zig Ziglar, your dad's book, 48 Days to Work You Love, was extremely instrumental, and so she saw me, like, consuming books just because I just love to consume these books, mm. And she said, you know what? She goes, I just, every time I talk to you and you're sharing with me the stuff that you're learning, she said, you're going to write a book one day. And I just remember like, you know, and she wasn't even in the context. We, we didn't even attend the same college. So she knew nothing of the story of me having aspirations to write and having them snuffed. That was just a word she said. And 
I just remember that that planted a seed in there. And it was many years before the opportunity came. But it, it's amazing. The you know, I, I think the lesson for me is don't let any one person's words be an anchor to your soul and carry too much weight. But also uh, surround yourself with um, what I call message carriers, you know, people who are there to help you, support you, encourage you and help carry your message. Well, we had in the past, gosh, I don't know, four months or so I've had I had Andy Andrews on Mm -hmm. the show and he talked about his first book, Traveler's Gift, that he wrote. And it got great book. great book that got rejected. I, I can't remember like 50 times, let's say something stupid. Yeah. Cause on the show he said, you know, what's so interesting to him is it's not that the publishers were, were, were wrong. They were really, really wrong. Obviously he sold millions <laughs> of those books and it wasn't that long later. I had Charles Martin on the show and his first book, I think his was like 81 times got rejected. And now it, that, that book alone, of course, he's sold millions of other books, but that book alone is sold like crazy. And you're like, how on earth could somebody be so wrong? Because we also, I mean, there are some times, and I know you've seen this, Jonathan, and I, I ask this question authentically because I just don't know what to do with it sometimes to say, when do we hear feedback? Cause we can't all do anything and everything. You know, Ziegler talks about that. He tries to marry that because he often gets lumped into that. Oh, here's one of those guys that says you can just do anything. He says, no, no, that's not true. Shaquille O'Neal is never going to have enough positive thinking to be a great jockey. He just, yeah. it's physically not going to work, you know, which is, is interesting because we've got basketball players, you know, who are five foot tall that have actually played in the NBA that it can overcome it. But there are some times to say, you know what, I think you're going after something and it doesn't seem suited to you. So just to have this unchecked confidence you want to question mm-hmm. it and yet over here you've got so many stories like you and, and me talking about yeah these great authors who were rejected so many times where we need to not give it so much gravity but we see that i mean you're a father you know we see kids sometimes and you want to tell them you can do anything but i've got some kids and i've seen them aspire to some directions and i'm thinking i'm not quite sure that that's the best fit for you And I guess that's part of where you have them work through that in your book. I mean, what are some, not barriers, some filters to say, because I've looked at that and said, okay, you think, do you really want that? Because, and sometimes I've found that even though somebody's saying they want to, they don't really. And that's why Mm -hmm. it's not a good fit. They're going that way because they think that there's some pressure or something uh, there. And it doesn't really fit their giftings and skills at all. And that's where it takes, that takes the ability. You have to have people in your life who, uh, not just family members, but friends. I have a couple who speak that kind of truth to me mm-hmm. and, um, they have that permission to speak it. They know me well. And that's where that, that relationship part does come into play. But people who oftentimes like the college professor who there was no relationship, didn't really know me that well, just kind of saying thing off you know, for whatever reason, bad day, I don't know. But that's different than someone who you consider to be on your team, who you believes for you, who's also kind of looking out for you. However, I still have a tendency to want to question that and go find it out for myself. Um, Just like, for example, uh, a book I absolutely loved years ago was from Bruce Wilkinson, um, the dream giver. It's, it's just a phenomenal book. And, and he talks about how ordinary who's the character in his book 
wanted to go do his big dream. And yet when he got to the, the edge of, um, to, to step out into his big dream to cross the bridge, there were border bullies. And what he was surprised at was that the border bullies were actually people he knew. Mm. So that is also, um, I say that on one hand, on the other hand, I say, you still sometimes may have to just take a step and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Well, so in filtering this out, you've got, you know, kind of four points you begin with. What is your unique gift? And, and figuring that out, you've got to go do the work to become aware, to figure out what your unique gift is. And now, as you said a couple of times now, one of the best places to do is to go to the people who know you, but, you know, cash that with who know you and are for you. Could we say that? Because yeah. there's a lot of people who know people who are not for them. Don't go to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. the ones that are. So what is your unique gift? Now, but I, I, right there, you got four points. That's number one. But now we're still back. And I know you hit on this book, but you know that you know that you talk to a lot of people who may give lip service and nod their heads to, yeah, that we all have a unique gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just don't really believe it. They just mm -hmm. don't really believe it. Or they may think I, I may have a little bit, but it's nothing special. Jonathan, you've obviously got something special, but I just, I, I think it's the, it's the rubber hits the road. And we talk about this in the personal development and self-help world and people nod their heads. But when I see how they then go about their lives, they don't really believe it. Yeah. And you've got to spend, end up spending a lot of your time just talking to that. Yeah, so I'll give you two quick examples. Please. So this the first time a couple a couple years ago, I was selling at the time my flagship course, something I only opened twice a year, and at the time it was called Blogging Your Passion University for people who wanted to build a business with a blog. And on the last day, I said, "I'm going to be in the live chat. Come chat with me." And I had like five or six chat windows open. I'm I'm handling all these conversations, and it was literally eight hours, eight to 10 hours that day on the computer, having conversation after conversation. And guess what? None of the conversation was about Jonathan uh, asking me about the, the, the particulars. What's the features of the course? What do you, what do you teach? What this or that? A hundred percent of it was on, they doubted themselves. Yeah. And that's when I walked away that day and I realized, wait a minute, people don't doubt my product they doubt themselves. Hmm. And that was a huge beginning for me. And then when I signed the book contract, I did a survey to my list and said, Hey, I'm going to be writing a book about how to, you know, take your message. I didn't even really had a, I kind of had the title, but we're still figuring out the title. And I said, tell me what, what's stopping you from marketing your message? That was kind of the term I used. What's stopping you from like getting your message out there and the, to the world number one thing was believing in a, in their message, like believing they actually had a message to share. And that's when I actually rewrote my outline and colluded, included that first part about believing you have a message. And that's so, so very important. So that maybe that's step one is you've got to, if you don't believe it, maybe you're, you, you got, you can't go past, you can't go further if you don't start there. Um, yeah, is believing that you do have one. If you do, then discovering that. And then your next point, though, your number two here is who do you want to help? And again, I like the example that you've given us so far. You in this fir in that first business endeavor of being a uh, consultant to accountants 
even mm -hmm. though that wasn't an area you had not been an accountant, but you did have experience in that business. So you went forth and did that. I mean, that just to me comes back to the branding aspect of the more you niche down, the better you are. So you're doing, you know, business counsel to accountants, and then you go and you're helping bloggers specifically. You had these niches. So who do you want to help? Because as you know, it's so tempting for so many people, especially if they're in the you know personal development, self-help industry to say, who do I want to help? Well, everybody. Yeah. And well, hit on that because I'm sure you get that a lot and you also know it doesn't get very far. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you might be interested in the genesis of this, uh, Kevin, because I was just thinking about this this, this morning. Um, so we go back a ways. In fact, I was a part of uh, your coaching program and group. And I remember you having an open coaching call. And in the beginning, I was going to start my original, I was going to start my website, my blog, being a career and life coach. And it was going to be for everybody. Like, I just want to help everybody, right? I don't want to narrow it down. Doesn't that make it harder to build an audience if you only help a certain small segment of people? That was my thinking, but it was completely the opposite. And it was actually you on the call, and you probably don't remember this at all, but I clearly remember this this morning, that you said, well, if you've got a background in, in finance and accounting, you need to be niching down and just helping those people. And so that day was when I went and, and originally bought the cpacareercoach.com website hmm. and the domain and, and did that for several years before, you know, rebranding it on my journey. But um, I never forgot that lesson hmm. because had I not niched down, I would have been this watered down version of trying to help everybody. And uh, it's much easier to be a big fish in a small pond. And that was the lesson I learned. Well, it, thank you. I, I'm, I'm grateful to hear the testimony. I, I know in Free Agent Academy, we had Jimmy Gibson, who's a, a branding uh, expert and for lack of knowing who else to attribute it to, I'm going to say it's him. I mean, I grew up with a lot of, with, you know, with my dad, with a lot of people in council, but that was drilled into me of, of niching down and the value of that. And when I first started doing business consulting, I did it specifically for authors, even though I had not authored a book, but that's where I had worked with my dad and I had seen his and seen the value of that. And thank goodness for, for counsel. Well, again, I love that. Who do you want to help? And I think it was Jimmy back then who made you at the events, pick that avatar. No, I want to, I want to, what's well, these kind of, no, no. Who's the person is it? Are they, are they black, white, male, female, short, tall? I mean, he would make you get a specific, he said, you speak to that specific person and get that niche down. So I, I just, again, I like this. What's your unique, unique, unique gift. Who do you want to help with it? And then that beautiful question, what problem will you solve? And it's such a brilliant question. And yet I, I still think will sometimes embark on a business endeavor, a direction, a category, something we're doing, and don't do a good job clarifying that. I'm just going down thinking about how oh, we're going to help people, but coming back to what, and if we don't lead with that, as you know, I think we're in a more acute time than ever. If we don't lead with that, we can't, it's harder to hook people than harder than ever. And that's yeah. still the leading asset. What problem will you solve? And when you cite that question, is that generally a struggle for folks to figure out or are they usually cognizant of it? You know, I think it, it provides clarity to them um, because they're like, oh, OK, I've got to pick a problem. But I also the way that I like to describe it, because it, 
in that, I also talk about this word passion and the passions, this big misunderstood word. And so in, and again, just for clarity's sake in the book, you know, defining your message comes down to purpose, people, and passion purpose. What is your unique gift people? Who do you want to serve and passion? What problem are you going to help solve? And uh, the way that I like to describe it is what problem are you passionate about solving for the next two to five years? Because what that does is kind of relieves that, 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 you know, passion doesn't equal pressure and that, you know, I got to do this. I got to find that one and only passion out there that I'm going to do for the next 30 years because we're evolving. Our passions change. Yes. And that's one of the things I talked about in the book that I think was so helpful for me when I realized this is you're not a wandering child because your passions morph and your passions change because what you find certainty in is your purpose, how you show up. And so it's okay for your, your passions will change, but your purpose remains. And uh, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what I'll be doing 15, 20 years from now, but I do know one thing I can show up as a resourceful teacher because that's what I've discovered as how I show up best for people. And that can be applied in so many different contexts. And so what problem are you passionate about solving for the next two to five years? Relieves the pressure, helps you to get focused on on um, serving a specific audience. You, know, you just mentioned it, and I forgot to hit on it earlier in that aspect of understanding yourself. You wrote in the book, and, and you, I think you just mentioned it right there. It's what brought me back to it, is what is changeless about you. And I like that, that you're passions may change, but your purpose probably isn't. And I have become over the years more and more and more and more continually aware of what doesn't change. And no matter where you put me in, if you're going to put me in a good spot, where if I'm going to exist in a good spot, I'm going to do the same things. And being an entrepreneur, I get to do that. So no matter as I jump, I've done so many things, even over the past five years I have, and I've got a handful of things in work and yet I'm doing the same things. I know where my gift yeah. is and I figured out how to keep myself more and more just in the lanes that I do well. So yeah, my purpose has continued to stay the same, even though what's the passion that I am assigning it to it. Oh my goodness. There's, there's multiples. I'm sure you could give some category overall to some of the genres, but that seems so freeing and takes away some of the fear of, I'm going to step out and I better nail it. And yeah. again, that's, just, that's so much your story that you're helping people, uh, you know, uh, walk through in their own lives. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's easier to see it backwards and forwards, you know, so but I'm looking backwards, it's like I can see where I constantly in every scenario in job or position, I was trying to express my uh, uniqueness, my giftedness, you know, put you put me in a job and I'm going to gravitate toward that thing. And it's true if you have employees. Uh, it's true if you're an entrepreneur. I think it's true for all of us because that's what's that's how we're naturally wired. We want to move towards that thing that that we naturally do well. Well, I want and I want people to hear because I'm going to come back on the messenger aspect and I want to I want to drill in there a little bit more. But, you know, the second part of your book, defining your message, three things you need to nail down to ignite your message in your business. And you just named them purpose. What's your unique gift? People, what do you or who do you want to serve? And then three, passion. What problem do you want to solve? The third part of yours is marketing it, which, I, as you know, a lot of people just want to jump there. And I mm. think it's generally putting the cart before the horse. Now, once you've figured all this out that we're talking about, that that is there's a lot of people die right there. And I love your 
how you structure that create capture compile and connect and folks again this is not just a message it's something you need to learn study and work through and the book is a great starting point and then i know they can engage with you further now with that said and they can look forward to that i want to dig into again more of the message and you a messenger, you pulled it out into eight areas that were just really interesting to me. And I want to walk through those if we can. Um, yeah. You said messengers are creatively driven. There are so many people that don't think they're creative, but right in the definition of that, one of the first things you said are they are wired to create. And I don't know that people, I mean, obviously the word is exists, you know, create creativity, but we think of creativity as this artistic flair of a, of a human but over here on create, I think we have, I know a lot of people that say, no, I, I create things. I see a problem and I want to go help fix that, create something. And you would say that's being creative, but I don't think we extrapolate that. But to create, when you see that thing that you're passionate about, or I've had some guests lately that have said that thing that breaks your heart, or I've always thought about that thing that burdens me and I want to create. It was Tom Ziegler who said 80% of people are more problem focused, solving a problem and they are goal focused. So if you see a problem, you want to do that. I hear you saying that's being creative uh, and that you have that as the number one hallmark of being a messenger. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. We're, we, you know, messengers are, are wired to create because they, they want to help. They want to help. They want to serve in any way, in any capacity, you know, whatever that outlet is, they just feel this desire to want to share. Yeah. And uh, again, we, we get to this a little bit more. We, we didn't really talk about it much, but we talk about kind of the different uh, influencer voices that are out there, the writer, teacher, speaker, coach. And there's yeah. an assessment in there to help you with that, but um, kind of help you know, where do I lean into this desire to create? But um, yeah, a hundred percent, like, you know, we're wired to create. If, if you're a, if you're a messenger, um, again, you don't have to check the boxes on all eight of these. Uh, it's funny, my own daughter, she's 18. She just said, Dad, I just checked off like all eight. I must be your daughter. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, she's reading the book. You know, I think that's awesome. She's, you know, she's studying in college for communications, but she's reading the book and trying to figure it out. My wife, um, she checked off five out of the eight. So it's not like a scorecard necessarily, but it is, um, I think it helps to define. And it's one of the things I wanted to have uh, in the book was to help people understand. Maybe maybe this helps describe who you are. You just haven't realized it yet. Well, and I like that. That was actually going to be one of my questions is, do you feel like, you know, somebody needs to somewhat have to be, you know, be able to check off the majority or just some. So I'm grateful you said that because your second one here is messengers are mission oriented, uh, serving a cause. They've got a problem to solve. And I have seen a lot of people find that thing that they want to address, that thing they want to solve. And you find the really acute stories of somebody who, uh, you know, recently we were talking about a guy who testified to one of the questions that we had posted about a show. And he, I think his dad died. They didn't have life insurance. Annihilated the family. I mean, just just mm. devastated them. And so today he sells life insurance. Why? He has a very strong cause, a very strong mission. And I've seen people, and I'm sure you have too, who find that thing that they want to address, that purpose, that passion, uh, that thing that they're excited about or burdened by, whatever. 
And that's so strong that it can overcompensate for the fact that they may not have a whole lot of the other things that you would attribute to a messenger here. Is that one that you do see can be an, that, that we can have strengths or have some of these so strong that we only need one or two, even if we're lacking in the rest. Yes. In fact, that's why I put it in the book. Hey, listen, this is not a checklist. You don't have to say, you know, yes to all eight of these. But if, if some of these resonate with you, you know, put a check mark by it. Let's let's go on this journey. And and that's what I um, what I love about the book and the feedback that I've gotten so far is this book is not just a marketing book. It's no. part one is a self-development journey. And then the second part's the more practical marketing principles that we can use. But this first part is about just kind of uncovering and maybe even stripping away some of what we we thought was um, maybe the right journey ahead. We, you know, we get this, go get that safe and secure job. Um, and, you know, there's there's that, you know, just go find that thing and just do that thing. Um, and at the same time, there's uh, a whole world out there that people don't know about. They just think that, you know, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But even right now, we see people that are um, are being pushed out of what their comfort zones were. Yeah. And now they're kind of there's this awakening of what do I want my life to really be about? What do, what do I want to do? And I think that's where that mission part can come into play. But man, totally Totally agree. You know, I do, you know, not to give more value to any one of these eight. Number three here, though, you have messengers or transformation makers. And my paraphrasing of that was they're working, they're doing their work. They're in their job, their vocation, their career. And a primary driver is making a difference, accomplishing something more than just earning a dollar. And to some degree, early on when we were talking, you mentioned the labels that we get, messenger, influencer, you know, thought leader. And it sticks out to me because in the podcast world, the biggest podcasts out there are entertainment. Now, I would also put them as influencers. Joe Rogan, whether he desires to or not, is an influencer. He thinks of himself as a comedian and I appreciate the fact that he says, I don't know why you guys listen to me. And, and I appreciate that. But whether he wants to or not, he is a massive influencer. Now, is he a thought leader as far as a positive, let's help humanity? Again, not, not against him. And I'm not a big listener of him, but I, I don't get that that's his primary focal point, that he's happy to make 100 million bucks from Spotify because they want to promote his uh, show. That's a lot of entertainment. So back to here, number three, that I see most of the people who are having an impact in other people's lives are the ones where above making a dollar or equal to however you want to give it, they really want to do something with their work. They want to have it matter. Is that yeah. line out to you? Yeah. And what's interesting about some of this is uh, out of that, that time I spent as a, an executive recruiter, you know, every week I would, I would interview eight to 10 people. They would come into the office. I'd sit down with them hearing about, you know, what is their dream job, their ideal job? Why are they looking to make a switch? What is it that they want? And I would just hear over and over again from people going, well, I just kind of do my thing and I pass it along. And then I never know if it made any kind of impact, mm -hmm. I just don't know if like I'm making a difference. And so I heard that like contribution, transformation, desire from people. And yeah, it's not saying that if you work in a traditional environment that you're not making a difference, of course you are, but in certain 
positions and certain situations, you can really connect that. And I think as a messenger, you're directly connected to the people you're helping and you can see the difference and yes. feel the difference in the transformation that's happening, which is incredibly encouraging beyond just making a dollar. Man, you saying that the contribution and people often, especially in a big corporate environment, are separated from the end product and service and the person who gets the benefit from that. There's so far. And man, on that, if that's of interest to people, one of the books that has been a big, uh, really, really unpacked that well and how that affects us. Uh, it's by Matthew Crawford. And he wrote a book called Shop Class as Soulcraft. I talk about him so much. I've never tried to have him on a show, never pursued him. But man, that one, he does a great job of just saying, here's the downfall, the fallout, I should say, of being separated from, yeah, that making a difference with your work. Well, your fourth one here, you know, messengers are challenge seekers. And you talk about they're ones who are readily willing to go after that undiscovered path and not the beaten trail. But the thing I like that you said in there is you said, while they may sometimes doubt their abilities, they still know that that undiscovered path is more rewarding than the beaten down. That doubt, because again, you know, we're looking at even entrepreneurship and us talking about the story of you and leaving that, that you did that amongst doubt. And I mm -hmm. think we get this errant perspective that to go out there and conquer the world, we have to be without doubt. It reminds me of the no fear t-shirts and ball caps. I thought, man, if yeah. you, somebody said, I don't know who it was. It said, if you don't have fear, you've got a mental illness. <laughs> you know? So for you to pull that out and to say, oh, doubts, is that fair to say? Doubt, you're supposed, you should have doubt. Oh, who, who doesn't have doubt? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, in fact, I'll tell you this: in, in the middle of writing the book, my here's what my inner critic told me, Jonathan: you're not a good enough writer for such a great title. Like this should wow. be somebody else's story. Somebody else has a more powerful background and story that would fit better to this. Someone has better experience than you, and like I had to push against that. And so the guy who wrote your message matters had to remind himself every day that his message mattered. And but in the book, I talk about a quote that's been so powerful to me, and it's by Susie Kasem, who said that um, doubt kills more dreams yeah. than failure ever. I will. read that. That was great. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. Most of us don't see doubt as the dream killer. We see failure. Oh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to fail. But not once do you hear people say, well, if I doubt something means I should hold back. Right. That's, that's our natural thing. If I doubt something, maybe I shouldn't do it. No, if doubt is the dream killer, that means when we feel doubt, it's kind of like the engine light coming on the car. Yeah. And it's saying, you need to step forward anyways. And uh, I've had to learn that along the way, that, that that doubt thing doesn't ever totally go away. But don't let it be the dream killer. May, you saying that, I... I sometimes, Jonathan, I, I mean, I know the imposter syndrome is always something mm -hmm. that I think of. And I, I just know it exists. It exists in me. I don't know that I can get rid of it. At this point, I'm not even trying to. I just try to, as you said, recognize it. I love that you saying the guy who wrote your message matters. You've got to separate that. Sometimes, I, you know, to get on a, on a spiritual side, I think, you know, I actually do believe there's an enemy trying to keep me from it. And sometimes I'll look at something you know, like doing a show or, or being nervous about something or doubting it to go, look, you've got 
48 million downloads, there's 450,000 downloads per month. Look at the latest reviews. I have no reason to doubt myself even, but I am. And sometimes I'll just sit there and think, you know, I'm going to pawn it off as enemy trying to pull me down and just go ahead anyways, because it makes no sense whatsoever. And I, I, I like what you said. Sometimes we just have to separate it. That's why I like being aware of it. Let's get out on the table and go, okay, I see you. I'm not going to give you power today in my life, but I see it's better than not being aware at all and wondering what the heck is going on. Yeah. And in the book I talk about, because this, this was a revelation for me and a real help, was present courage and the power of present courage. And uh, this, this first came to light. Um, I, I wanted to do an in-person event, finally decided to do it. I was nervous. You know, it, it, are people going to buy a ticket? Come, come spend two days with me. And this was back in 2019. You know, we had about, I think, 80 people who were, who were coming, flew in from across the country. The night before in the hotel room, I said, you know what? I'm going to go find my very first YouTube video back when I was doing career coaching and play it for them to show mm. them like how terrible I was. And it'll be an encouragement to them. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I searched for it. And when I looked at it, this was the night before the event, I found that it was exactly 10 years to the day wow. that I published my first YouTube video. So the event was like June 19th, 2000, or 2019. And I published my first video, June 19th, 2009. And I remember sitting back and going, what if I could hop in the DeLorean, like back to the future and go, go to that person who's nervous about publishing this YouTube video, a little bit unsure, not really confident in their abilities and in their skills. If I could tap on my younger, my younger self on the shoulder, and I would say to that person, hey, you don't know this right now, but there's a whole room of people in the future, 10 years from today, that are waiting for you. And their future help depends on your present courage right now that you've got to publish this. It's not perfect. No, but we've got to do this thing. Everybody starts in obscurity. We all, all creatives often start in obscurity and we learn along the way, but that's what I want people to think about is it takes a moment of present courage to buy the domain name, publish the book, start the podcast, do the blog, but there are people in the future that their future help Depends on your present courage right now. We own the movie. It's Matt Damon. Uh, we bought a zoo. And in yeah. that, he talks about 20 seconds of insane courage. Uh, I love it. So it's a vernacular we use in our families. 20 seconds of insane courage. Love it. Um, five, messengers are gift cultivators. And you talk about you know, growing personal gifts and skills and talents uh, we just had a show 837. John Bevere was on here and his book is X, Multiply Your God-Given Potential. But he talks in that, you know, we talked in that about that. You don't just, back to where you start off with people, finding out what your gift is. You don't find that and go, oh, that's my gift. Let's go offer it to the world. You actually have to cultivate that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> the messengers you see. So we, I, we, if I extrapolated it and said the people who are succeeding in this are the ones who are finding their gifts, but then they are doing the work to grow and refine that, which I mean, I think we've all, most people have experienced somebody who you realize, man, they've got an amazing gift, 
that the world will never see because they can't either they're not, they're not doing the work to grow it or confine it, or they can't get out of their own way enough. That's the consummate artist story. You know, somebody who can't get their work together. How many awesome musical bands or musicians will we never see because they can't get themselves in order personally enough to get on stage and actually deliver something. And that's what I hear you saying. And a great appreciation for saying, Hey, it's not in essence enough to know that gift or discover it. Now you have to grow and cultivate it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to start cultivating it and develop it into a skill. And, uh, like we talked about earlier, it's, you learn by doing and, um, after you do it, you get better at it. Yeah. Well, the sixth one here we talked about, I pulled that out earlier when you talked about learning, you said messengers are leading learners. And you said that before that learning is in essence, it's taking action, not just, is that fair to separate it out? Not just getting the knowledge, but actually then doing something with it. It was, uh, oh, goodness, I'm, I'm going to, what's the guy's name? I had him on the show. The guy's been everywhere lately. I just went blank, but he's the one that said, you know, we have these lessons in life from something we probably made a mistake in, we failed at whatever. And we learned a lesson. We went forward. Now, if you're repeating that same event over and over and over, you haven't learned the lesson yet. And I mm. appreciate him saying that. And with this, that, you know, we, we hear that, what is it? The uh, leaders or readers, we hear that kind of stuff yeah. a lot, but man, you can also just read and intake so much stuff and never do anything with it. So yeah, I appreciate you. And that's, I think getting a little deeper on what learning really is. Yeah. And you know, you think your, your dad's been a great example of that for me yeah. is I've sat and watched him invest in himself. Like he, oh my he gosh, didn't know yeah. how to do webinars and he invested in himself. How do I do webinars? And he just, and when I learned that from him, I started saying, you know what, I've got to invest in those. I was just a high school teacher. I didn't know how to do online marketing. I didn't know how to do yeah. a podcast, webinars, any of this stuff, but it was like, what's the next step that I need to do? and then go learn it. It's kind of that sticking a, a manufacturing principle just in time, but making it just in time learning. Yeah. What is the thing that you need to do next? Find a mentor, learn how to do it, invest in yourself, and then go produce a result. Yeah. Well, and, and even in that, you mentioned my dad. I appreciate that because I saw him as a guy who had a lot of success and it hit me at one point uh, almost an aspect of humility to still say, I still have things to learn. And the fact that he still is going to the conferences, he's still yeah. sitting at the feet. He's never arrived where he doesn't need to learn anything. And, and honestly, it stuck out to me because I went through a point in my life of a, be, becoming aware of how prideful I was and I was not coachable. It's, there's a long story there, but this show's not about me. Let's go back to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> you and let me just say this. Yeah. Let me say this real quick. You know, I, I I saw your dad at the the last uh, in person uh, podcast movement conference, yeah. sitting there taking notes. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. You know, Dan Miller's sitting here learning. Yeah. Um. I mean, it was just an incredible encouragement to me. Yeah. I, agreed. Agreed. Well, seventh one here messengers are freedom lovers is how you titled that. And in that though, what I pulled out was, and I, or I think you said that is they question the status quo. And in my mind, I thought they don't just accept the norm, which is a hot point for me because my experience, if I just say the industry that we're in a personal development, business development, self-help, I have continued to grow to feel like one of the biggest challenges struggles that people face is 
just that is the status quo. And I think I have not given it enough, enough, uh, enough weight, enough gravity and how hard it is to go do something different, to question the norm and do something. Because when you get in that world, as I think you and I more so are, on one hand, I love it. I love the freedom. And I'm also aware sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes yeah. it's just, I don't want to go to the Thanksgiving meal with everybody, which this year nobody is, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go there and go, no, we don't eat that. And we don't eat that. And we brought our goofy food over here. I mean, it's not fun. It's, it's a pain in the butt, but they, they, but I do love the freedom about the same time I go, oh, I'm kind of tired of it. The next moment, I don't want anybody else choosing my directions and decisions for me, but I do love the freedom and questioning the status quo. I, I think, you know, again, you've got to be able to do that. I just realize that sometimes it's just so difficult for people. I want to commiserate with it. It can get tiring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely can. And, um, but at the same time, that's why you got to go back to your why. Mm -hmm. And, um, in fact, in yeah. the book, I talked about the messenger manifesto, which was something I wrote because I was kind of getting weary in what I was doing. And like, you get lost in, in the stuff, right. In, in building the business, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And so I wrote this manifesto to read each, each day yeah. to help me, understand and remember my why. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I think that's important. Which you do. And I'll pull that out. You put that in the book, you end each chapter with kind of a, a little working through and you have the manifesto in there and you have yeah. some really great things to work through. Well, the last one here you have, and again, I want to go back to what you started this off with is saying, this is not mean you know, to be a messenger that you have to check mark every single box. So this isn't mm -hmm. everybody, but statistically, if you look over and I know you pulled these out, you said messengers are future focused. They look ahead. They have a vision. And, you know, you said earlier that there's some, you know, when they, when you have somebody, especially in a vocation, you guys, I, I just do what I do. And I don't really know anything beyond that, that the traditional not that this is a diss on employment out there, right. but that is by proxy kind of what employment does. It says, here's where you go. This is your cog. This is what you do. And it does, it's not a training ground for looking ahead. So would you say that in this endeavor, that may be an area, kind of an unused muscle that people may not have that they're going to have to revive or generate for the first time? Yeah. It could be, you know, there's some of us that we are, um, you know, we're wired more to be yeah. kind of in a traditional setting, but here's what I want to, people to know that if you're that person who's always future focused and you never quite feel settled and you feel like your resume is all over the place, you feel like, you know, people are judging you. You feel like uh, you can't find your thing in the world. I want you to know it's okay. That maybe just maybe you might be defined as a messenger and you've got, you've got something that's against the status quo and it's okay. You're not alone. There's lots of people who feel this way. Mm. And here's how, you know, the book hopefully helps you to define it and put your creative energy in a direction. So that's how I would define that's great. it. That's great. Well, here's a statement that you made. I don't know where it was in the book, but I thought what a great anchor because it's just so all encompassing. I'm just going to hand it to you and let you define it, unpack it a little bit. The big question of what am I ultimately trying to accomplish with my work? Tell us about it. 
Yes. So this was when back, back away, back in the, you know, I just started a blog. I'm kind of liking it, but I still had the day job and, you know, life was busy. The kids were younger. There were little league games. There's church responsibilities. There's just, you know, life was busy. And finally, one day I was just kind of sitting there and I went over to my whiteboard at my home office and I wrote down, what am I ultimately trying to accomplish with my work? Like, what is it? And I started writing down a few ideas and, you know, I came up with an acronym called LIFE. Now, this was for me, but that was the moment where it became an opportunity filter for me, where I could say no to things, yes to things, and it helped me to stay on the path of the life that I wanted to build. And I I learned this also from 48 Days to Work You Love. You know, your dad's got a diagram in the book that shows you know, most people has work in the center and then everything's out on the fringes. But what if you could turn it around and put life at the center and everything helps support your life? That was kind of another concept for me. But, you know, it was an acronym for me that L stood for lifestyle. So I wanted to have the freedom to work when and where and, you know, how I wanted. And nobody was telling me I had to work till 5 p.m. every day. Um, and the I was impact. So I wanted to do things. I wanted to work on things that were making a difference in the lives of others that I could see. F for me was financial freedom. So I wasn't tied to a salary or, you know, hopefully the 2% living increase bump every year. I was, I was actually had the ability to build that um, wealth. And then E was effort. And part of that, again, was me as a, you know somebody who's real curious about self-development is I wanted to push the boundaries on, on um, my skill sets. And could I write a book? Could I sp- learn to speak on stage? Could I do these things? And so as opportunities came my way, I was better able to say no or yes, because I had my acronym LIFE as an opportunity filter for me. Well, you know, the book overall, Jonathan, I just, I'm a fan of it. That's why you're on the show because it, to me, I think we hear that message so often that, oh, you have a message, but that you, the, the sequential aspect of, and again, this is my paraphrasing, but it's what I, what stuck out to me of helping people believe it. And that's where we've spent a lot of the time here, believing and conceptualizing though then, and I know a lot of people, if they do get to that point, they don't know what to do about it. And to some degree, that's where you spent a lot of your time and expertise is helping people go sell that, go market it. I mean, you're a marketer. Uh, but I see that's, that's what sells. That's what people want to go buy. I just come help me sell it. And yet I see so many people who've really have not solidified over here, believing and really, again, I say conceptualizing, but you said, you know, defining it. And that's what enamored me with that. That's what I, I, I want to refer people to come here and solidify this thing. And then you'll also help them go figure out how to market that as well. So that's what people can look forward to in the book and in connecting with you, man. I'm just, I'm grateful to see this come out. Grateful that you did what it took to bring it out. It's, uh, I don't think it's ever been more needed. So man, thank you. Thanks for bringing it to us. And thanks for taking the time to bring it to me and this show. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin, for having me and just sharing a little bit of of my story and a little bit about the book. Absolutely. 
Well, friends, as we discussed in this show, this is one to go beyond hearing some new knowledge, but to actually learning, embracing and engaging and taking action. Uh, truly. Uh, again, you can find Jonathan and his profound book at yourmessagemattersbook.com. Coming up in episode 842, what most threatens your joy? Uh, do you know what does? I asked the Ziegler audience, I received over 400 comments, real comments, and they fell into seven categories. To discuss it, Tom Ziegler and I brought in Ziegler's spiritual director, Janie Seltzer. Janie's a very frequent personality on the Ziegler Facebook page, which has over five and a half million followers. Her Facebook lives there are extremely popular as she brings just true hope and inspiration to everyone. It's a timely show as our current culture is just experiencing more fear, anxiety, and uncertainty than possibly ever in most of our lifetimes. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 